This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. During January, I'll be sharing my summer series, a recasting of some of our most popular Psych for Life podcast episodes. I hope you enjoy them as much as my other listeners have. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Episode 3 of Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. Today, I'll be talking about meditation and hypnosis and how they can enhance our performance in our work and personal lives. Before we begin, I'll give you a quick introduction to myself. I'm a registered general psychologist and organisational psychologist and I've been in practice for nearly 30 years. I'm also a registered clinical hypnotherapist, a speaker, published author, and media commentator. Meditation and hypnosis are incredibly important parts of my life and have been for many decades. Increasingly, I'm being asked to provide hypnosis for people in the corporate world, which is really interesting. I'm being interviewed about the use of hypnosis in business life as well for enhancing performance. So meditation. Why would we meditate? Before I tell you about how meditation occurs, why would we meditate? Well, the research has been ongoing for many decades as to the enhancing benefits of meditation. Research shows that if we meditate for 21 days in a row, for 20 minutes each day, we build what I call the critical link between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. However, as individual results may vary, it's best to let yourself progress in your own time frame as you learn to successfully meditate and build that critical link. Science continues to show that our conscious mind is only 5% of the total of our minds. The conscious mind has a very limited processing capacity. It is estimated that it can process 120 bits of information per second. For perspective, we use 60 bits of information per second to understand a person speaking to us, which is why our capacity to do anything else at the same time is so restricted. The conscious and subconscious parts of our minds are often described as being like the ocean. The conscious part is like the surface of the ocean, and we are only aware of this part of our mind when we are using it. So it operates intermittently, that is, when we choose to use it. The subconscious mind, which makes up 95%, the bulk of our mind, is like the depth of the ocean that we can't see. We are mostly unaware of it and that we are using it, yet we are using it constantly. The subconscious mind is working continuously even during sleep when it produces our dreams. It is also often referred to as our unconscious or pre-conscious mind. We know our subconscious mind is working when we experience an epiphany or brainwave. These typically occur when we have been hanging out with our subconscious, like when we're daydreaming or on a long walk or waking after sleep. Research continues to show the processing capacity of the subconscious part of our mind to be greater than we previously thought. The subconscious mind is where all of the knowledge, information, memories, experiences we've ever experienced are stored. Whether we can access this knowledge in this database depends on that critical link between the conscious and the subconscious. By meditating, we enhance that critical link. Hence, we enhance our ability to access all that information, all that knowledge, 
all that ability that is stored in our subconscious minds. If we think of our minds in a childlike diagram, imagine a circle. Imagine the top of the circle is cut off at 5%. That's our conscious mind. How small is that? And then below that is the subconscious, and that is the bulk of the mind. So we're accessing that bulk. We're clearing our minds daily by meditating, just as we clean our teeth daily. Why wouldn't we be cleaning our minds and clearing them and refreshing that ability to access that database deep inside our own minds? So if you imagine that circle, that childlike diagram of the mind, what we're doing is we're dipping from that surface conscious part of the mind down into the subconscious. So we're strengthening that neural pathway between the surface of our mind and the deeper subconscious part during meditation. We are literally increasing our capacity to recall this information, to retrieve it and to operate. Hence, we're also increasing our resilience. People who meditate relay that they feel they have much more capacity. They feel much more calm, much more in charge of themselves, in charge of their lives. They can function better. They can deal with stress better. And this is how we know we're getting a benefit from meditation. The performance benefits of meditation are so well acknowledged that people in high positions with demanding jobs are often those who say they meditate daily and that that's how they function at their optimum level, that it improves their performance if they are meditating daily. Often you'll hear CEOs, for example, talking about the importance of their power naps during the day. I discovered meditation as a university student and I found through meditation I was much better at preparing for exams and then even during exams being able to access the trance state which we access through meditation. I found I could retrieve the data needed for the exams much better than if I wasn't in somewhat of a trance state. Meditation can provide health benefits. Many studies show a remarkable reduction in blood pressure and other medical conditions, a recovery from operations, reductions in stress, anxiety. There's an old adage, meditate, don't medicate. So what is meditation? We used to just have the term meditation. More recently, we now have the term mindfulness. And these two terms are used in different ways. Some say mindfulness is intentional and guided meditation, which is the focus on one thing only, Others say mindfulness is being fully present in the moment, and that can be on your own or with others, in whatever situation you might be in, that you're completely present in that moment. Others say meditation is the intentional and the guided process, the focus on only one thing, or the stilling of the mind. Whereas others still say meditation really is what I would call transcendental meditation, which is the focus on nothing. In my professional opinion, mindfulness is being present in the moment, whereas meditating is a more structured, guided process, and transcendental meditation is that focus on nothing, where it's the ability to completely step out of your mind. When we're meditating, to me it is a very different process than being mindful. It is the ability to leave one's body, so to settle the body, to have the body relaxed enough to be able to feel that we're not conscious of our body anymore, to then leave our feelings, we're no longer conscious of our feelings. 
So transcendental meditation is where we do go beyond stilling the mind and we're stepping away from our minds. This is the ultimate experience of being detached from our mind, whereas meditation is an umbrella term which includes all different ways of meditating. There are passive ways of meditating where we might be following a recorded process. There are active ways of meditating such as walking, following a labyrinth, following a set pathway, walking along a beach, a track and focusing on one thing and relaxing. The main definition of meditation that's non-transcendental meditation is to focus on one thing and relax. Simple but difficult. When we're first meditating, we're typically very frustrated by the process and are constantly distracted by sounds, by situations around us, by our own thoughts, discomfort, boredom, frustration, and working through that resistance In transcendental meditation, we discover we're not our body, we're not our feelings, and we're also not even our minds, because we've stepped away from all of these faculties. Transcendental meditation is usually regarded as the most pure, disciplined and beneficial practice. Then the intentional and guided meditation is usually regarded as the most beneficial, followed by mindfulness. So mindfulness, you can practice anywhere at any time. It can be done informally. You can practice mindfulness even while you're shopping. As long as you're in the moment, you're fully aware of what you're doing. This is an opportunity to be mindful and to have that time in your day where you're giving yourself that refresh of your mind. It can be really difficult for us to stay present in the moment. A recent study out of the Harvard University found that people are spending 46% of their waking hours thinking about something other than what they're doing. So we're actually not in the moment. We're actually distracted for about 50% of our time. This kind of mindlessness is actually the norm. If we're distracted 50% of the time of our day, how can we perform at our best? So what happens when we're focusing on one thing and relaxing? What are we trying to achieve with meditation? Studies show that we're achieving various stages of pre-sleep. So it's not the first stage of sleep, but the stage before we start to go to sleep. And it's known as alpha state. Studies of the brainwaves show that our normal daily conscious state finds us having short and fast brainwave motions. Whereas when we start to go to sleep, our brainwaves slow down into what's known as alpha state where the brainwaves become long and slow. And this is the start of the sleep phase. When we're in a trance, when we're being mindful, when we're moving into a meditation, and certainly when we're going into transcendental meditation, the brainwaves are slowing right down and they're becoming long and slow, and that's known as alpha brainwave state. And that's when the mind is becoming still. That's when we're gaining self-discipline. Through the practice of being in that alpha brainwave state for 20 minutes a day, for 21 days in a row, we build what I'm calling the critical link between the conscious and the subconscious mind, that pathway, that access to all of our ability that enables us to perform at our best in our personal lives, in our professional lives. So it's that critical link that we're building when we're achieving the alpha state and maintaining it for the 20 minutes And yes, to start with, we'll get distracted and we'll have to come back to the alpha state, to stilling our minds. But eventually we learn to stay in that state for 20 minutes at a time. And the flow on effect is this improved performance, this ability to perform because we're so much more aware of ourselves. Buddhists say that the point of pure state meditation is that it will have a flow on effect for the rest of our day, that we will be mindful for the rest of our day. Being mindful is how we perform at our best. 
So how do we know we're in an alpha state or a trance? Some people say when they're in a trance state or an alpha state that they feel really heavy and deeply relaxed. Other people say they feel really light and floaty. It's that same state just before we're falling asleep, just as we're waking up in the morning of a drifty floaty sensation. That's usually how people seem to experience the alpha state, which is how you know you're in that state. It's certainly a stillness of the mind, which is very distinguishable from our other tendency to be distracted. So we've been talking about meditation. What's the difference between meditation and hypnosis? Well, for each practice, we're going to the same state. We're achieving that trance state. The only difference is that we're doing something different in each state. In meditation, we're stilling the mind. In hypnosis, we're doing therapy. So we're looking for the same alpha brainwave state. We're probably having to practice to achieve both. But in each process, we really only need a light trance state, which is very easy to achieve. It's just holding it and working through the distraction or the resistance that usually takes practice. In any change process, we have to chip through a certain amount of resistance and we don't know how much there will be. Some people might take weeks or even months to learn how to meditate. Other people might only take a few sessions of practice um, because they may not have as much resistance to the process, to the change process. So it's, it's about persisting and it's about chipping away through the resistance. One of the ways of doing this is to listen to guided meditations which is why I recorded a CD of meditations and relaxation. So what is meditation? Meditation is an umbrella or a global term. It covers a wide range of practices from passive to active. Some of the passive processes can be just focusing on one object, for example, a candle, a flower, a leaf, and relaxing and focusing entirely on that object. As I said before, distraction will occur, bring yourself back to the process, bring yourself back to the object. Other passive processes of meditation can include using light, colour, feelings, other experiences that we call kinesthetic or feeling experiences. Some people like to use sound meditation. There's a range of sound meditations, including using chanting, toning, Tibetan bowls, a trance is a naturally occurring state, morning and night as we're waking from sleep, as we're going to sleep, that drifty, floaty, half awake, half asleep sensation. Some people even find that they get to the end of a long drive and wonder how they got there. Unfortunately, they've been in a trance. Studies of meditation typically employ an electroencephalogram or EEG and this is how we measure the brain activity and changes in brain waves. Studies even today dispute the use of the EEG as it's used in various different ways in different studies. There's still a debate about how to measure meditation. However, the best measure is simply by noticing how we feel week after week month after month, our improvement in performance, our improvement in feeling healthy, positive, the health benefits being tracked by medical results, reduced blood pressure and so forth. What better way to measure meditation than where our bodies are performing better, our brains are performing better, we're performing better. People often ask me, where should I meditate and when should I meditate? Everyone's different and it's really about experimenting to find out when during the day or evening is the best time for you. 
Some people tell me that first thing in the morning is best for them. Some people say, if I meditate in bed, I'm falling asleep again, so I must get out of bed. As again, at the end of the day, some people say to me, I mustn't, mustn't lie down or I'll fall asleep. I must sit up. Other people have told me they meditate at lunchtime at work as a refresh during the day, a recharge. Certainly people have told me that they meditate before an important meeting to really clear their minds. So it's about working out what's best for you. Typically when you begin to meditate, you'll have a release of tension. And that's another way of measuring how helpful meditation is. That, of course, releasing tension from our bodies, from our minds, from our feelings is so much better than storing it. So people will typically laugh or they'll cry even as they begin to move into a trance, releasing the emotion. Stepping away from our feelings, stepping away from our bodies, and even if you're doing transcendental meditation, stepping away from your mind. That experience of not being our bodies, of not being our feelings, and not even being our minds, is incredibly revealing. I stumbled upon meditation in my early 30s and hypnosis when I received some hypnotherapy from a practitioner. And then I was so intrigued about meditation and hypnosis that I went off to America to study and explore practices and techniques. And then coming back to Australia, I taught meditation for many years and trained as a clinical hypnotherapist because of my interest, my fascination about hypnotherapy. In terms of performance, hypnotherapy is extremely powerful. In fact, I'm being interviewed increasingly about the use of hypnotherapy by people in the workplace. I was asked recently why are people in the corporate world using hypnosis more frequently for, for performance enhancement, for negotiating pay rises, promotions. I think it's because there's more awareness about hypnosis, there's more information, information's more readily available, and people are struggling with how competitive work life is these days and looking for performance enhancement. Athletes and other performers have been using hypnosis for decades. Our earliest research is from the 1950s where Russian Olympic athletes were known to use hypnosis for their performance. It generally takes 21 days to form a new habit and if we want to commit to the process of meditating to improve our performance and enhance our performance, I usually suggest to my clients that you shop around and find a process that you really like that seems most comfortable for you or that gives you the benefits that you're looking for that induces that medit or helps you go into meditation best and then commit to just one process because there is so much resistance usually that we have to chip through if we're using just the one process just the one form of meditation we're more likely to chip through that resistance most quickly in one of those recent articles, I actually said hypnosis is the new meditation because we're getting the same benefit. Then we're getting that, we're building that critical link, but we're also getting the benefit of whatever area we're focusing on for the therapeutic component of the hypnosis. And performance enhancement is why a lot of people consult me for hypnosis to improve their performance in work, in hobbies in all areas of their lives. I had one client a few years ago who wanted to improve her tennis and it wasn't for any professional reason. It was because she was very frustrated with her inability to 
progress with her ability to play tennis. And so she really persisted with her hypnosis and remarkable results were reported back to me that stunned her friends who thought she'd had extra tennis coaching privately, secretly. I first experienced hypnosis back in 1992 and then I trained and became a clinical hypnotherapist in 1997. A lot of recent research is being done into the use of meditation to help with post-traumatic stress disorder and finding really great results. We've got results that meditation improves mental health, depression, anxiety, stress. The way hypnosis works is what the mind perceives it believes. So if we're perceiving or feeling that we're going to win at a tennis match, it's more likely that we will follow through and actually perform in order to win, perform in ways where we will win the tennis match. And so athletes are trained with hypnosis to see themselves performing at an optimum level, and therefore they do. Runners, for instance, tend to slow down naturally. When we see a finishing line coming up, we tend to naturally slow down. So runners are trained with hypnosis to view the finish line as beyond the actual finish line so that they will run and perform at an optimum level right through the finish line. Increasingly, research is also showing us that the mind is plastic, even in adult minds, that we can continue to build and strengthen neural pathways. So the power of hypnosis to help our performance, to help us perform, is still useful for adults. We used to think that the brain was finished forming at age 21, but now we know that it's far more adaptable It's far more malleable than we used to think. So even in older adult brains, we know that we can improve our performance. This means any of us can train ourselves to achieve our goals. There is a recent explosion in the research about performance, about excellence. People are increasingly wanting to improve their ability to achieve goals and to perform. So imagining and imagery is often something we use when we're doing meditation or hypnosis. And visualising does help us to achieve a mind state of the trance as well as seeing ourselves perform at an optimum level. However, the visualising is is ultimately how we feel in the trance. So visualising is not the end goal in itself, but it's helping us to actually feel ourselves performing. And it's the kinesthetic or the feeling experience that we're aiming for in the meditation and in the hypnosis. So if you can't perceive or visualise, don't worry about it. It's more about the feeling you have about being in the trance state. It's the feeling you have about imagining yourself winning at that tennis game or crossing that finish line or bringing that great deal to a conclusion in your workplace. Similarly, if we feel ourselves to be in a role we're more likely to achieve and perform in an optimum way in accordance with that role. For instance, if we're going to a job interview, the best advice is to dress as if you've got the role, perform as if you've got the role, think as if you've got the role, believe you've got the role, and then you'll perform and present in the interview in the optimum way. Hypnosis and meditation helps us to be in that mindset. Again, it's the feeling of being in the role when we're going to be performing at our best in that role, whether it's for a job to achieve, to obtain a job, whether it's to perform in the workplace, in a task, 
to present at a meeting, to win at that tennis game. We need to remember that it's our mindset and visualising again can help us gain that mindset, retain that mindset, but it's seeing ourselves in that role. In another example, if we're needing to perform a song and to see ourselves as a singer as we perform the song rather than someone who's just singing, we're more likely to sing sing at our best if we're seeing ourselves in the role as the singer rather than Joe Blow who's trying to sing or choosing to sing. If we're seeing ourselves as the person who is achieving their leaving school certificate and that that's our role, that's that's who we are, we're achieving our school certificate, our leaving certificate and, and we're achieving that and that's our job, we're much more likely to be successful at achieving that certificate. Many of us still have an old biased way of thinking that it's only people who are gifted that, who can achieve and perform and it's due to their genes or something special about them, whereas all the research is now showing that the brain is so malleable that any of us can achieve our goals, that there's nothing special about those people who achieve their goals. They're just training more than most other people. They're more focused than other people. They're believing in themselves. They're seeing themselves in the role of achieving. They're focused on achieving. They're building those neural pathways that we know meditation and hypnosis can build in order to achieve, to perform. The idea of excelling and success intimidates so many of us and many of us think we have to be a natural talent in order to succeed, that excelling is prohibitively difficult and it's reserved only for special people and for the few. But researchers have now shown that this is untrue. It's really up to us. And if we want to excel, achieve, perform, we have the techniques to do that. We have the ability and it's about enhancing our use of our minds, being in charge of our minds rather than our minds being in charge of us. So I really encourage people to find the technique that they prefer to use, that shopping around, there are so many different types of techniques of meditating, but then finding the one and staying disciplined to using the one technique. Hypnosis is a more clinical process and it's best to have at least one session with a registered practitioner before using any guided processes. To make sure any guided processes you're using have been developed by a registered hypnotherapist, contraindications for hypnosis, and by contraindications I mean reasons why hypnosis would not be used, things such as epilepsy. So if there is epilepsy in your family or in your background or any other psychosis, hypnosis is to be avoided. Always seek advice from a registered hypnotherapist. Because hypnotherapy can be very powerful, it's always best to undertake hypnotherapy with a trained registered hypnotherapist because hypnotherapy can unearth deep material from our unconscious. It's best to be able to be guided and to discuss be able to discuss whatever may be unearthed and to have that treated. Any self-hypnosis or guided hypnosis thereafter will be instructed by the hypnotherapist. So now that we've discussed all the benefits of meditating and hypnotherapy, how are we going to implement these practices into our lives in order to improve our performance? With hypnotherapy, your hypnotherapist will guide you and instruct as to how frequently you need to do the hypnosis and you'll decide together what kind of hypnosis you'll be doing. With meditation, 
If you're wanting to enhance your life, quality of life and outcomes in terms of achievement in your life, how will you set meditation? How will you set up meditation in your life? This, again, is something that is usually trial and error in order to find the technique, the process, the time of day that works best for you. If you're someone who likes to sit and still your mind and finds that quite easy to do, then finding the time of day that's right for you, finding the location, being comfortable, setting up the process so that you're most likely to go into a trance state, knowing when that time of day will be, that you're most likely to have the quality of time. For instance, if children are around, then it's harder to meditate unless you have a partner who can occupy the children or unless the children are otherwise occupied. However, many clients have told me they have the record, they have my hypnosis, they have my meditation CD on out, la- out loud and children meditate as well. Schools have introduced meditation for children. Meditation is, is increasingly being used for pre-adolescents as well as adolescents to help them cope with the stress of this time of life, this stage of life. And these are skills that hopefully they'll carry forward through the rest of their lives. Find a way that's easy to introduce meditation to your day. Some people tell me that at the end of their exercise routine during the day, they will meditate as a way of winding down. Find a way that you can introduce meditation into your day rather than recreate your day, rather than have to change too much. To make meditation a daily practice, it's best to find a time in your day where meditation fits naturally rather than changing your day to fit for meditation. It is a commitment. It becomes a joy within days, weeks, or maybe months. It becomes something that people say they miss when they don't get a chance to do their meditation for whatever reason. Persist with it until it does become a joy, until you do see the results, and the results will make you want to continue to meditate. And by sticking with meditation, achieving those results, this is the doorway to enhancing performance in all areas of your life. Many years ago, I was interviewed for an article about hypnotherapy, and it was at a time when hypnotherapy wasn't as popular. The journalist asked me whether I was going to make her cluck like a chicken. There is a whole area of hypnosis called performance hypnotherapy. We see it on TV where the hypnotherapist picks the party animals and we can tell from looking in people's eyes usually which people are going to be happy to act up and act out if asked and sure enough, they will cluck like a chicken. Clinical hypnotherapy is a collaborative process. We do not do anything to the client. We work with the client. It's something we do together. The client learns how to go in and out of a trance for seven days in a row with a recording This is not hypnotherapy. This is just what we call an induction. It can induce a trance. It may or may not, as the client learns how to go in and out of the trance in the same way that when we meditate, we learn to go in and out of a trance. The only difference is in meditation, we're holding ourselves for 20 minutes in that trance. With hypnotherapy, of course, we're learning to stay in that trance in order to do the therapy. And the therapy is not being done to us. The hypnotherapist facilitates the therapy the client and the hypnotherapist do it together. It's something that in both cases of meditation and hypnosis, remember we're still fully conscious. That 5% that is our conscious mind is still fully activated. We are not asleep. We're still fully conscious. All we're doing 
is we're opening the subconscious. We're open to it, just as we are when we're in a daydream. Just as we are if we're on a long drive and we get to the end of the drive and we've been freewheeling in our minds and we wonder how we got to the end of the drive. So this is still a naturally occurring state. The only difference is we're consciously inducing it. We're consciously inducing it in with ourselves when we're meditating or when we're doing self-hypnosis with a recording or whether we're with the hypnotherapist and we're letting the hypnotherapist help us to be in that trance and to do the therapy. The therapy itself, when done in hypnotherapy, will be explained to you by the hypnotherapist as to what process will be used. You will, of course, be asking the hypnotherapist for therapy on a particular area of your life. And so again, it's a collaborative process. People ask me, what's the difference between doing therapy in and out of hypnosis? So without hypnosis or within hypnosis? And really, a lot of the time, clients in therapy will be in a trance. There's a lot of research about the fact that there is a mutual trance between client and practitioner in general therapy. It's not something that we're formally inducing in normal therapy. It just happens that all of us throughout our days will go in and out of a trance quite easily, quite naturally, if we're daydreaming, if we're pondering on what someone's been saying to us, we're mulling over it, we're rolling it over in the back of our minds, we will be quite often going in and out of a trance if we're deep within thought in ourselves or with someone else. Again, it's not a formal trance, it's not a formal hypnotherapy unless we're formally in hypnotherapy. The real difference between general therapy and hypnotherapy is that we are in a induced conscious trance in hypnotherapy where we are able to access very quickly, usually instantaneously, the problem area. And so it's very powerful, it's very quick in terms of a therapeutic process. You were usually accessing deeper material more quickly than if we're in talking therapy or general talking therapy. For instance, I did some hypnotherapy with a client who was concerned about angry outbursts with her partner. And we talked about her sad childhood and how she probably had a very angry younger part that was being triggered by arguments with her partner. So we did hypnosis to see if we could help to heal this, what we presumed was an angry inner child part of herself. Instantly, her mind produced her eight or nine-year-old self. And surprisingly, this part was very happy, was very stable, was advising her as to how she could calm herself down. And it was that part that her mind really needed her to access for the healing process, for her to to recognise that she didn't just have an angry, hurt part inside herself, that she could stay calm and level even in arguments with her partner. And it's not to say that there isn't a hurt part as well, an angry part, and with ongoing hypnosis, these parts will be part of the healing process. The mind gives us what we most need in terms of our healing through hypnosis and other processes, and it won't give us what we can't handle. It's a very organic process. It's a natural process. Again, we're only facilitating. We're only helping to guide the healing of the mind. We're not actually doing the healing. It's a collaborative process.
And so in that instance with that client, neither of us would know what part would be elicited by the hypnosis, what part she needed to access in that particular session, which was our our first session. And so for a first session, it was a very pleasant experience, which is probably, probably prepares her for harder, perhaps more painful sessions that might be needed. Who knows? This is again what the mind needs, not what I may think she needs or she may think she needs. The mind shows us. It already knows. All we're doing is helping it to heal. There are so many aspects to meditation and hypnosis that this podcast is really an introduction. If you want to use these processes to enhance your life and your performance, I recommend meditation and hypnosis. I've only just scratched the surface of these topics and I will go into these more deeply in in other podcasts. If you're looking at enhancing your performance or generally finding balance in your life, I strongly recommend incorporating meditation and or hypnosis into your life. In my show notes, I will provide a link to my meditation and relaxation CD and to my website for more information articles about hypnosis and meditation. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I look forward to sharing more with you in other episodes. Please note any references to people, stories or scenarios mentioned in this podcast are an amalgamation of experiences. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes.